This week on Morbidly Intoxicated, we do a deep dive into the case of Lacey Peterson. Hey, you want to grab a drink? Hi, Sierra. Hi, Lily. You excited for this week? So we're doing a deep dive. We're doing it. Doing a deep dive. So in the first episode, I stated that police followed every single tip that they got from the tip tip line for Lacey. They didn't. In the ID documentary, it was police who said they followed every plausible tip. Plausible to them. Yeah. Not not every single tip they followed every single plausible tip yeah so just a clarification right they said they followed all those tips so let's jump right into it let's do it because i texted you this and you were very shocked and i said i was going through his timeline and maybe he did it yeah is it beyond a reasonable doubt though no it's not so i'm just gonna go ahead and all right i'm i'm not prepared I'm ready for it, though. This is in-depth, so I'm literally going to go through every single detail. Buckle up, folks. The first thing that happens right in the morning is Lacey wakes up at 7, okay? Scott wakes up at 8 to 8.30. 8.40 to 8.45 is the computer activity that Lacey had where she was Googling the sunflower umbrellas, stuff like that. Okay. 8.46 to 9.47, this was labeled as their normal morning activities. So talking about what they were doing that day, what they were making for for Christmas brunch the next day. She had said that she was going to make a cordon bleu French toast, and that recipe was actually on the counter. So from Scott's account, this is what he said she was going to make, and the proof was right on the counter. Uh, Scott had a phone call with Lacey's mom saying that she was so cute curling her hair like Amy showed her, sitting on the bench in front of the kitchen counter with her curling iron. Mm-hmm. That's proven by the bench in front and the curling iron that was still plugged in. After this, Scott loaded the umbrellas into his truck to store at the warehouse. Then he said hello to the neighbor, waved to him, waved to her, asked, you know, how they were doing while he was loading in these umbrellas. Here's my thing. Okay. This is not the thing where I was like, he's guilty! <laughs> he didn't store the umbrellas in the warehouse. They were still in his truck when investigators looked at his truck on the night of the 24th. Hmm. I just say that he forgot to put those umbrellas in the storage. I forget shit like that all the time, especially if it's in the back of my car. I'm not thinking about it. So when he comes back in, 9.48, they're watching, like, whatever segment on Martha Stewart where they're talking about the meringue cookies, right? Mm-hmm. Or he's he sat down with Lacey or however it went. 10.49 to 10.30, this is when Scott drove to his warehouse, which I found out is a nine-minute drive from their house. So it's not far. Okay. 10.30 to 10.56, he checked and sent emails to his boss Viewed instructions on how to build this woodworking tool and did a couple other things on his computer. 10.57 to 11.17, Scott logged out of his computer, cleaned his office, unloaded some tools, 
This is when he cut his hand on his tools. Oh, right. Okay. That's my first point is that was the only forensic evidence on the car was a single drop of blood on his car door, which was his. Yeah. And then them saying that that was um, cuts from Lacey's earring. Did we talk about that in the first episode? No. Oh, okay. Did you want to talk about that? No? Sure. Alvaro Keeney, when he took Scott in for his questioning, his theory was that cut was from a screwback earring that was on Lacey at the time that Scott had strangled Lacey. Yeah. Was his theory. But so he got, yeah. But the screwback earring, if he was like this. On her neck. Yeah. Right. It's, you don't even, like, literally, just put your hands around your neck right now. You're not gonna, you can't get to your earlobes like that. I, I, guess, I guess in, like, a struggle, maybe if his hands are like, oh my god. It'd be like this. I just, I feel like that's like. But even if he was like this, like, overlapping your two thumbs, it wouldn't reach his, his knuckles, yeah. you wouldn't think. Because you're gonna choke someone, yeah. You're gonna choke them like this with, like, one hand over the other, usually. I have or to like, like the thumbs or something. Yeah. I have to like lift my fingers a couple inches to even to touch my ears. Ear. Yeah, you, yeah, like because you would be up against her like chin instead of her throat. Right, exactly. Which wouldn't be really choking her. You want it down towards like the clavicle. Yeah, yeah. And or, it has to be on your like esophagus. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that one, that one, whatever. He also built his woodworking tool, and it was assembled in his warehouse. He received this tool on December 20th. There's, you know, he he didn't print out the instructions, but it shows that he looked up the instructions. The tool was built when investigators went to go look at his warehouse. Mm-hmm. So the investigator's whole thing was, he killed Lacey on the 23rd, took her body, wrapped it in the tarp, put it in the bed of his truck with the umbrellas, drove to his warehouse, but his warehouse you couldn't pull your truck into. Like, you could not fit a car in there. Yeah. Especially because he had a boat. And the warehouse was smaller. So they said he would have had to take the body out of the bed of his truck and put it into the boat in broad daylight out in the open and then hook the boat up to the truck and tail it 90 miles to the San Francisco Bay where he went fishing. Yeah. But the truck bed and the boat would have been wide open. And the boat was small. Yeah. Seems a bit, um, not impossible, but impractical. Far-fetched. Yeah. yeah. Kind of dumb. If you did that. <laughs> not that they, not that he's the smartest guy. No, even, even Scott's mom in a phone call had said, Scott, even if you did do this, you're not dumb enough to dump her in the same place you went, you went fishing. fishing. And to be moving her body around in broad daylight. Not that things like that don't happen in broad daylight, but, like, that's just a really dumb plan. Why I, would you risk that? I don't know. I kind of want to I kind of want to call out True Crime All the Time, that podcast, mm-hmm. really quick. Because they had mentioned Dexter, and they didn't say... Oh, but Dexter did it. They said, was Dexter popular at the time? And I do oh, believe it was. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah it, it was, um... It was in its, like, second season or some yeah. bullshit. Because it went on for nine... It I'm, went on for eight seasons. It started in 2006. Oh. Because I was thinking that, too. I listened to that. I was like, no. Yeah, it started in 2006. Okay. So it so wasn't no. popular at the time. I just want to say, because I know people are going to go go on about it, but Dexter's boat was 
28 feet, twice the size of Scott's yeah, boat. Yeah, it had two motors. It was like it was a big fishing boat. It was a speedboat. Yeah. It was massive. Yeah, it was literally twice the size. Yeah, it was huge. And Scott's boat had like, like three rows of seating in it. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, if you kind of shoved her in between the seatings, you'd be able to fit her. But there was no underneath space to Yeah, you. so she, no. she'd still be out. Right. In the open. I'm. You could cover the boat while you're driving. I don't know if he had a boat cover or not, but probably. I think one of the photos shows that. But still, you're moving an eight-month pregnant dead body in broad daylight. You don't just, like, pick it up and move it from one place to another. Not to mention she was, like, 150 pounds. Yeah. Too. It's just... I'm not saying that's super heavy, but I'm saying it's heavier. But dead weight, dead, dead weight's weight. heavier than living weight, too. Like, lifting right. someone alive that's 150 pounds is very different than a dead body. So, after he built the woodworking tool, this is when he decided it was too cold to golf, so he took his new boat out instead. This also confused me because I grew up in California. I lived near the beach. We went to the beach often. I've gone, you know, whale watching on boats in those colder months, it's freezing when you get towards the water. Yeah, if it's cold outside, I feel like fishing would be colder than golfing. Exactly. That that was just my input, you know, I, when I saw this. Because I'm getting a lot of this information from the scottpetersonappeal.org. Mm-hmm. And they, this is what they said, and I, I just, it okay. didn't make sense to me. So sus, but... So from 1118 to 1254, he drove to the Berkeley Marina and purchased his boat ticket. I've seen a couple different things that say he purchased his boat ticket on December 20th for a two-day pass. But I don't know if you fill out the pass when you get there, because I've also seen things that say he's bought in two-day passes before. Because he doesn't take his boat out all the time, so it doesn't make sense for him to buy, like, a year pass. Yeah. I don't know, I think it depends on the marina. Because, like, here, if you go to the lake, you can buy the t- the pass whenever, and then you scratch off the dates when you go. Okay, and they that- don't expire unless you scratch off the dates. Okay, that's what I figured. So, it could be something like that. Yeah. 12.55 to 2.11 p.m., he launched his boat. He said he went two miles north near Brooks Island, and he said he remembered this because there was a no landing sign because the water was so shallow there. Mm. Another thing that investigators brought up is that he used freshwater jigs, is what they call them, to catch the fish, instead of the saltwater ones that he had gotten from Big Five. He left those in his truck, and those were still there when investigators searched his truck. The freshwater jigs were in the bottom of his boat, which suggests he did actually go fishing. It doesn't really matter which ones you use in the sense of, like, it being some damning evidence. Because it's kind of like difference in freshwater saltwater rods is, like, the strength because you're going to catch different types of fish. Right. Like, freshwater fish are normally going to be smaller and easier to catch. So you don't need a, necessarily need as strong of a rod. Like, right. if you go fishing in the ocean, you could catch something huge. Yeah. And if you don't have the right rod, then you might break the rod. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter. No. How is that damning evidence? I don't know. That's just... I I mean, you know Brokini. You don't know Brokini. Brokini, listen. (laughs) Bro, listen. I'm I'm not a fishing expert, but uh, it doesn't... 
I don't think it matters that much. No. Like, I didn't see this as such, like, This is the fucking bed dent all over again. (laughs) People were laughing at your rant. I, (laughs) I was so mad about the bed dent. I'm like, this is some, why does it matter? But they I was mad about it. I was very mad about the bed dent. I thought that was stupid. Yeah. And next up, the fishing jigs. <laughs> Moving on from two two twelve to three twenty five, this is when he was leaving the marina. So he was getting everything packed up. He was getting his boat all hitched back onto his truck so he could trail it back to his warehouse. Mm-hmm. This is when you hear the "Hey, beautiful" call at two fifteen, three twenty five to four twelve. He stopped for gas in Livermore and called Lacey again. Bank records prove that this was at 325, and phone records show he called Lacey at 352. But he did not leave a message this time. That's not creepy. 413 to 423 is when he arrived back at his warehouse. 424 to 517 is when he returns home. He entered through the side gate, took off Mackenzie's leash, set it on the side table, let the animals in because I guess he had some cats as well. You never heard I that never before. heard that one before. Nope. He poured out the mop bucket, checked the mail, noticed Lacey's car, and figured her mom had picked her up. This is when he threw his clothes in the washer, ate his pizza, showered, got dressed, and then listened to the messages, which is when he heard the message from Ron Gransky, which is Lacey's stepfather. This is when he called back, said, Lacey's not with you. I thought she was with you. She's not here. This is where everyone hears she's missing. Interesting fact, Scott actually never said Lacey was missing. That's in the court transcripts. Say that he didn't say that. Saying that he did not say that. So people also think it's weird that Scott didn't call the police, Mm -hmm. right? And I found out why. The in-laws said they would call hospitals so Scott could go check in the park. Mm-hmm. So after that call with Lacey's parents, he went, took Mackenzie, was knocking on neighbors' doors, thought was looking for Lacey for about half an hour. At 5.47 is when Ron called the police. So that leads them to when police arrive at the park. Let's go over the witnesses. So there were six witnesses saying they saw Lacey walking Mackenzie after Scott left, and none of these people testified. The police said that these witnesses were not a priority in the vest- investigation. The police's priority was finding out Scott's whereabouts on the 24th. The first sighting was the Maldonados, who said they spotted Lacey between 9.50 and 10 a.m. They said they drove to the USA Mini Mart, which was a gas station, and after they had left the gas station, they noticed, quote, a beautiful young woman who is very pregnant, end quote. They also mentioned that she was having a really hard time walking Mackenzie, because Mackenzie walked Lacey. Lacey did not walk Mackenzie. Gotcha. The second account was a bread truck driver uh, who was delivering to a Denny's restaurant. And he routinely saw Lacey because he had the same route every week or twice a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. I remember when I worked at Wendy's, we would get bread, I think it was two to three times a week. Mm-hmm. So he had to have gone there often. Yeah. He noticed Lacey this day between 9 and 10 a.m. He actually called the police after recognizing Lacey's picture because, like I said, he saw her three, two, three times a week. No one ever called him back. Third account would be the Aguilara neighbor 
who said she spotted Lacey walking Mackenzie between 9.45 and 10. She was the neighbor who was driving. She knew it was Lacey because they went to the same doctor. Police also never called her back. That was between 9 and 10 as well? 9.45 and 10 a.m. The fourth account was from a man named Jean who noticed Lacey while he was on his way to the pharmacy to pick up a prescription at 10. He noticed Lacey because they had the same color dog. Police told him to get proof that he was there in that area around that time. And I guess between multiple calls to the police, Jean just felt ignored. Okay. So that lead went tits up. The fifth account was the councilman's wife, and her name was Vivian Mitchell. She saw Lacey and Mackenzie several times that morning, actually, from her kitchen window. She watched them for a few minutes, and she remembers that it was 10.30 a.m. because her husband was watching a football game. Mm-hmm. So she knew exactly what time that she saw Lacey. She died before the trial. She said she felt ignored. They didn't sound interested. Kind of the same thing with the first four. <laughs> yeah. She said it was at 10.30, which would completely derail their timeline. Exactly. Anything that didn't go with the the police's... Yeah. yeah, With the The police's timeline, with the police's theories, they just brushed under the rug. The last one is a big one. This was a hospital employee named Diana Campos, and she was a custodian at one of the county hospitals. She was taking a break from work overlooking Moose Park, which is about... 50 yards from where she saw Lacey and Mackenzie. 50 yards is like half a football field. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not very long. 150 feet. Her account was that she watched a pregnant woman with a dog while two men walked 10 feet behind her. And the two men were kind of verbally, like, yelling at her. Mm-hmm. Like, verbally, I guess she said assaulting her. Mackenzie was kind of freaking out and barking at them and, and wasn't having Supposedly them. Mackenzie. Supposedly yeah. Mackenzie, yes. Barking at them, not having a great time with it. One of the men said, shut that fucking dog up. Stop walking ten feet behind me, you creep. Who does that? There was one more identified witness, and I don't really count this because it was kind of brushed off as a rumor. Mm-hmm. Who said she heard screaming from the bathroom at that exact park. Hmm. I don't know. Hearing screaming could be, like, so many different things, but... Right. Just surrounding the other things, that's interesting. So I know I messaged you this, mm-hmm. and I didn't tell you why. Mm-hmm. But this was the part where I said, well, maybe Scott did it. But even if this is the, the one piece of evidence that makes him look guilty, I still wouldn't say beyond a reasonable doubt that he did it. All right, let me have it. One of the neighbors said she put Mackenzie in the backyard because he was out roaming around in the front yard with his leash on, mm-hmm. right? That was at 1018, and she has receipts to prove it. Okay. She's got the receipts to prove it. <laughs> People are saying they saw Lacey no later than 1030, right? Mm-hmm. So my thought is the neighbor let Mackenzie back into the yard at 1018. Maybe Lacey put the leash on him and had to go to the bathroom and came back out and then went on her walk. Mm-hmm. But Scott found Mackenzie in the backyard with his leash on. Who put Mackenzie back the second time? If everyone's saying that Lacey got abducted on her walk, who put Mackenzie back? Here's my problem. Okay. 
It was one neighbor saying she saw her past 10.30, and everyone else says they saw her before 10. This is where the their mailman's timeline comes into play, and his name was Russell Graybill. He was scheduled to deliver to 500 homes during the course of the day, okay? Mm-hmm. During his route, he would park at certain spots and then get out of his truck, deliver the mail on foot to all the houses in that area, and then go back to his truck and drive to the next, right? So on December 24th, he arrived at his first scan at 10.19 a.m. and his last scan at 3.41 p.m., which took him about five hours for the delivery time. There was a piece of evidence that was entered as Prosecution Exhibit 34, which notates the time that he delivered to the Peterson house. Grable said he entered the area around 10.30 to 10.45 in the morning. He didn't remember anything unusual, except that the dog at the Peterson house normally barked at him from behind the gate. On that day, the gate was open and he did not see or hear the dog. Hold up. What? So that blows the whole timeline a little bit further. Yeah, because he said he entered the neighborhood at 10.30 to 10.45. Right. And he's got scans that says, at least if he dropped off packages and stuff, he has to scan them. Yep. And the gate was open and there was no dog. No dog. That was 10.30 to 10.45 in between there. Who put Mackenzie back the second time? I'm shook. I know. Because then the other girl said that she saw her at 10.30. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. She wouldn't have been back by the time the mailman got there. The Medina robbery that was happening right across the street, people said they saw that van at around 11.40. Mm-hmm. So it takes like like 15 to 20 minutes to walk a mile. Does so it? if she, Yeah. Let's add and she's few. also, let's add a bit because she's pregnant. I was going to say, let's she's add She's eight months minutes. pregnant, so we'll see like half the, an hour. With a crazy ass and Yeah, and struggling because the dog's trying to, to pull on her leash. So that's what, 30 minutes? So 10.18 is when she, the neighbor puts the dog back in the yard. So we're saying that Lacey went on her walk after that because the councilman's wife saw her walking at 10.30. Yes. Let's, okay, let's just... Give this let's spiral here for a minute. Right. That's Let, my plan. Let's play <laughs> let's play uh devil's advocate. For who? For Scott. Oh, I say, thought we were making him guilty in this scenario because you said it didn't make sense. That's what I'm saying. That wouldn't we, be devil's advocate. No, we think he's innocent, so this is devil's advocate. Oh, for us. Okay, yes. I see what you mean. Let's say he killed Lacey, wrapped her up in the tarp, put her in the trunk, let Mackenzie out before they left which is what the prosecution is saying. So it looks like she was abducted on her walk. The neighbor Karen puts the dog back at 1018, which she retraced her steps. So her timeline is pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. Why was the dog not there at 1030 to 1045? So that doesn't add up for me. No, it doesn't add up. If if Lacey's already supposed to be dead, then... And the dog is supposed to be out. But the dog was in the backyard with his dog. leash on when Scott got home at like 3 p.m., wasn't it? But I'm saying the mailman. Oh, the mailman, right. The mailman got there 10.30 to 10.45 is when he entered the area. No Mackenzie. And the gate was open. And the so gate it's not was like open. the dog just didn't bark at him this time. It was, it was that the was dog open. wasn't there. Right. At 10.30. So that doesn't add up no, for... No, it doesn't. For... Her being in Scott's boat at that time. 
So, but I have another problem with the timeline, too. Okay. If they're saying the prosecution and the police's theory is that he was moving her body into the truck bed at, like, 9.30, somewhere in there, right? He waved to his neighbor. Yeah, that was at 9.30-ish? Like, 9.40-something around there. Okay. Yeah, and, like, 9.45, let's say. Okay, so around, like, 9.45... Scott waves to his neighbor, and the neighbor sees him loading umbrellas into his truck bed. Just umbrellas. Just umbrellas. He didn't... Yeah, I'm guessing the neighbor didn't see him loading a dead body. No. Um, this is not Chris Watts. This is not <laughs> where the neighbor solves the case immediately. <laughs> neighbor. Oh, God, I love that part. The neighbor's like, yeah, he did something. Anyways, so he waves at his neighbor yep. at this time that he's supposed to be loading her body. Okay. But then people who knew her, like the bread... Dr- the bread truck driver saw her closer to 10. Closer to 10. Saw yeah. her. Yeah. Walking. And. Someone who knew who she was. And um, the neighbor who who went to the same doctor. Exactly. And the neighbor who also knew who she was, so there's no way she mistaked her for somebody else. No. Saw her walking past that time. My whole thing is everyone likes to say, what if they're just mistaking it for somebody else in the neighborhood who else in that one mile radius lives in that neighborhood eight months pregnant same color hair same features same height same dog yeah no no i don't but it's just a community of uh brown-eyed brown-haired pregnant women with golden retrievers right with a tan dog (laughs) like no no, that I is actually something so. I would know if I lived in the neighborhood. I'd be like, that's really weird that there's two of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Maybe it was her evil twin. No. It was Scott. I solved, I solved the... <laughs> <laughs> just in case you missed what Lily just said, she said it was Scott in a wig. <laughs> <laughs> and if that imagery doesn't crack you up, then I don't know what would. Then you're wrong. <laughs> I'm so dead. <laughs> he had a pillow under his shirt, basketball under his shirt, and he's walking on his knees. <laughs> because she's like, like a foot shorter than in a wig. Anywho, what were we talking about? Okay. Oh, people said they saw her, then they know it was her, so it doesn't right. even fit their timeline. No. Going back to our, our original mindset of Scott is innocent, I... I mean, there's just no way that timeline, even acting like he's guilty, viewing it from the point of people who think he's guilty. It doesn't add up. The timeline does not add up. Unless the neighbor has the time wrong, but she doesn't. Almost, for me, the biggest problem in the prosecution's timeline is that he killed her the night before. Because I don't understand why they have that theory. They have that theory because when she was found at the marina, she still had one of her legs or part of one of her legs she had on a a light tan colored pant which is what she was supposedly wearing on the 23rd that's right when she saw her sister so her sister could teach her how to curl her hair right right but they found the pants that lacy wore in the hamper on the 24th when they searched the the house was that the outfit that the witnesses have all said she was wearing i don't i can't find an outfit description but well, that's dumb. <laughs> because the police never followed any of this. That's true. No, never. Because that would have been a good follow-up. Like, okay, what was she wearing? Right. 
That's but, an interesting tidbit. So they found the pants. But they the found pants the pants. Actually, I'm not sure it was when they searched the house on the 24th, but I know they found the pants that Lacey was wearing on the 23rd. Okay. So maybe she just had two pairs of khakis. She probably did. Or light jeans or whatever. Right. Light or colored pants. People holding her hostage came for this class. <gasps> oh! We'll talk about that later. I'm actually going to get into that right now. Oh! Oh! So, we're doing it! <laughs> We're doing it. We're jumping right in. Okay. So she, let's just say she was still on her walk after 1045. Mm-hmm. That clears the mailman's timeline. Mm-hmm. She gets back. Let's say she puts Mackenzie back in the yard. Okay. All right. Then she notices the Medina robbery happening. Okay. Mm-hmm. Across the street. Uh-huh. She confronts them. And that's when they shove her in the van. Now, I'm going to tell you about another unidentified witness who came forward and said that they saw a man standing over a pregnant woman while she was squatting against a fence to pee and then watched them put her back in the van. Watched an arm grab out and pull this pregnant woman into a van. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is just while he was driving along. I don't know if he was driving, what was what he was doing. He was never identified. It's just an anonymous witness. Right. That's right. There was also the case of the sandals. And I've mentioned this before, to you at least. Mm-hmm. And it's in Matt Dalton's book I've got right here. Right here. Right here. Got our sources. We are going to reread this because this is a conversation between Judge Ricardo Cordova, who testified at trial, and Scott's defense attorney. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about street names in this first little sentence. Covina and Edgebrook, do you know that to be close or in the close vicinity of the Petersons' house? It was around the corner from their home. Approximately how many feet? I guess about 150 feet or so. Would it? Is it fair to say that you then saw some... You observed a pair of wooden sandals with a flowery pattern lying in the roadway there. Yes, I did. Did you point those out to the detective? I did. They were near the... They were off the pavement. There's no gutter there, but it looked like it was in a grassy area off the pavement into the first... The house's yard, and I saw some sandals, flip-flops. Looked like women's flip-flops to me. Okay, did you point those out to Detective Banks? Yes, I did. Okay, and when you pointed them out to Detective Banks, did Detective Banks do anything? He didn't. He left the sandals there. Okay, and that was what date? That was on Christmas morning, the 25th of December. On the 25th of December? Okay. Did you make any indication that you thought the sandals might have something to do with anything? I I think I made a comment. I wonder if these have anything to do with that. With what? With Miss Peterson's disappearance. And did Detective Banks pick these shoes up? No, he didn't. So obviously the questions came from Mark Gregos. I just, I think that's such a big point that the detectives skimmed right over once again. Okay, so they said they found that like 150 feet from their street. Right. Like right around the corner from their house. Mm -hmm. And they were off to the side of the road. Yeah. Did they ever verify that those were her shoes? So I've read a few things that are saying Lacey had a similar pair that were not in the house. I don't know if I can really put that much stake in that. No. I mean, it's like highly circumstantial. It's odd. Yeah. But the takeaway that I would have from that is that the police didn't follow it up. That would be my takeaway. Not even if they were her shoes or not, but like Mm -hmm. 
that seems something important to follow up. If we're going with the shoved in a van theory, then they could have tossed her shoes out as they drove right. to, like, discourage her from running away. Mm-hmm. It's just research. Pick up the fucking shoes and then be like, hey, did your wife have any of these? Or ask her parents or her sister, like, have you ever seen Lacey wear these shoes? And if they say no, then you can toss them out of evidence. Even if they were the same size. like Yeah. Even if they weren't anything, you should investigate it. Because they were apparently following every plausible tip. Right. Right. And and they pointed it out to a detective. It wasn't like someone called and said, hey, I found these sandals on the side of the road. Like, I could see them writing it off a little more if the detective hadn't been standing right there looking at them mm-hmm. around the corner. I would have, I personally would have picked them up as evidence. Yeah. Because you can easily disprove that. If no one's ever seen her wear the shoes, maybe they weren't hers or they weren't her shoe size. But what if they were? Tune in next week to Morbidly Intoxicated when we become detectives. Right. (laughs) When we join the police academy. (laughs) I couldn't do that many push-ups. Anywho. The prosecution has many more theories. They have all the theories. Right. But do they make sense? So, the police searched the Peterson residence three times. Two of the searches happened just within days of each other. The last search happened months after. Okay. So the first one was on December 24th, and the police did four walkthroughs. Let me tell you about these walkthroughs. So the first walkthrough, police noticed the mop bucket near the door and the pizza box on the counter. The rug was scrunched up against the door jamb. Um, there were dirty, wet rags on the washing machine. And in the second bedroom, there was a duffel bag on the floor upside down while there was another one facing right side up in the closet. I What does that mean to me? I don't know. <laughs> that something fell over in their house? The second walkthrough was three detectives from the first walkthrough and Scott. They went room by room asking if anything was out of place. Scott said, no, everything looks fine. And I would just like to preface the third and fourth walkthrough, or even the next searches. Scott and Lacey kept a very clean house. Mm-hmm. Besides... The dirty wash rags that were on top of the washer, which Scott said were from the maid, and the scrunched up carpet, and the pizza box, their house looked like a model house. It looked like nobody lived there. It was mm-hmm. immaculate. And that brings me to the thing where everyone everyone says, Scott's guilty because he asked this reporter to take off their shoes. He did that because he was OCD. He was a clean freak. Yeah. Be tracking your nasty shoes through my house. Right. I just, I... She mopped with bleach. That's excessive. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like, yeah. Don't, yeah, what? Ugh. Okay, and... <laughs> How is that so weird? Like, I I can't keep it up, but I would prefer people to take their shoes off my house, but I don't even care about it at this point. My mom doesn't do it, so... But, like, Sam's parents are like that. Yeah. They were so OCD that they had a maid... And the day after the maid was there, Lacey was mopping the floor. Why is it suspicious that he would ask a reporter to take his shoes off? How is that suspicious at all? Let me continue with these, with these, um... Okay. With these search warrants. Because it gets better. It gets better. Doesn't it? The third walkthrough was Brokini and and Evers, who were two detectives on the case. They did a quick ten-minute sweep. Then it was the two detectives mentioned above and Scott for the last walkthrough. They did a 45-minute sweep of the house. 
Here's what they collected. 31 photos of Kavina, photo of the kitchen counter with the open phone book, photos of the second bedroom with pillows and the master bedroom. Another photo of the kitchen, two mops, mop bucket, 11 cleaning rags, the rug, and his parking receipt from that day. So I will give them the pictures, whatever. I mean, they photograph evidence, so fine. Yeah. I understand the mop bucket, the mops, the rags, and the rug, because if they're insinuating that he cleaned up, then he, they could test all those for blood, obviously. Let me tell you, they did. Nothing came back. Shocked. Yeah. So that's nothing- where that's where I have a severe problem with the dismemberment theory. So there's roughly four and a half liters of blood, which is like a gallon and a half of blood in the human body. Right. That's a shit ton of blood. That's a lot have you of ever blood. spilled a gallon of milk? Like no, but I've watched YouTube videos of people like throwing <laughs> oh, yeah. the jugs of milk on the ground. Yeah, or a gallon of water, a bucket of water, like anything like that. That's a lot. It's a shit ton. There's that is impossible to clean up every speck of blood, mm-hmm. and they would have found at least a speck. So I know that that wasn't their main theory, but when they when people talk about that theory, it cracks me up. It doesn't matter where he dismembered her. There's no way that that happened. Let's go on to the second search warrant that was held on december 26th through the 27th this search was for detectives to find any forensic evidence that they could prove it was a cleanup the fbi assisted with their special blood detecting equipment everything that was suspected as blood splatter slash blood stains were tested along with any items that you could use for a cleanup the main thing was a vacuum that scott was seen vacuuming with on the 25th, they said it was a special vacuum, like a steam cleaner vacuum. But again, he was a clean freak. They, they, they collected the vacuum as evidence? Yes. They thought it looked suspicious, so they took the vacuum as well. They thought the vacuum looked suspicious? Yes. The vacuum killed her. <laughs> Everything's suspicious except for the things that are actually suspicious. Right. Except um, for the six eyewitnesses. <laughs> okay. So they're saying that he used, like, the steam mop or steam cleaner or carpet cleaner, whatever the hell kind of special vacuum it was to clean up blood. Okay, so I'm going to assume that they use luminol to test the crime scene, which, if anyone doesn't know, is something they spray and then they use, um, I think it's pretty much just a black light. Yeah. Over it, and it'll show you blood, and it will even show you blood that has been cleaned up with bleach and, right. like, wiping patterns and everything. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, if there was a major blood pattern they would have found it second of all you don't want to spray your house with luminol do you know you don't even know the amount of blood that you have dropped in your own house go ahead and test it but i would not be surprised if you found both of their blood in the house in probably in small drops yeah but think of any time that you have cut your hand your foot your leg whatever you probably drop you might have dropped blood in not known right and just like and maybe mopped it up when you did your regular mopping, mm-hmm. and then you would still see that with luminol. Oh, yeah. If they found, like, a bunch of small droplets or even, like, a tiny, like, puddle, like, that doesn't really say much to me. No. Unless they found, like, major splatter patterns or wiping patterns or cleanup or something like that. Which, obviously, they didn't or we'd know. <laughs> you want to know the, re- know the results? What? No evidence of cleanup. No trace evidence. Shocked. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not shocked at all. (laughs) The next search was February 18th to the 19th, and this is 2003. 
This was for the home and the shed for the following theory. That she was a victim of a soft kill. So that means that there was no blood. For some reason, I hate that term. I know. A soft kill. A soft kill. A gentle killing. This is where they came up with Scott cut his hand on the back of Lacey's earring. When he was choking her. On Mm -hmm. the 23rd. Right. Right. Can't get over that they really grabbed onto the outfit theory. They also theorized that she might have been drugged and then strangled and then cleaned it up by mopping and vacuuming. I don't know what they, he would have to what clean up. What would he up. clean up for? <laughs> what would he be Yeah, what would he be cleaning up? From I don't strangling know. someone. It, hair maybe? It's in her house. That's easy to write off even if it had been. Right. I, that's the only thing I could think of. I was like why would he need a mop to clean up after a strangling? <laughs> Which didn't find anything anyways. No. Blood splatter. So they were looking for poisons, injectable drugs, fluids that could cause death, syringes. Uh, they also wanted samples of Mackenzie's hair to compare it to dog hairs they found on the tarp that was in his car or in his truck. Um, <laughs> what? Why are they comparing the dog? What if it was a different dog? <gasps> yeah, what if it was a chihuahua on the tarp instead of a golden retriever? What the fuck does that prove? He murdered a chihuahua? Oh god, not the McDonald triad. The results of this? No evidence to prove this theory. They took what? so Wait, much from the what? house. Okay, right. People also like to bring up the fact that when investigators searched Scott's boat, they found one of Lacey's hairs in a plier that were rusted shut. And that was early on in the case. One hair. A single hair. Yeah. No blood. There was actually, actually there was a thing that it was documented it was one single hair. When the lab got the the evidence bag, it was three strands of hair. So there were three there were three of her hairs. Yeah, that's so there was a weird discrepancy there that got brought up in evidence that it was marked as one and I think photographed as one. Because I've seen the photo with like the one strand. But then when the lab got it there was three strands of hair. Which is just just an odd side note. So my hair is not bleach blonde naturally, it's kinda like a darker blonde. I lighten it significantly. My hair sheds so much. So much. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably extra because I I do bleach it a whole lot. But even before I was was lightening it, it, I shed so much. Like, I'll go and hug Robert and, like, four of my hairs just fall off on me. (laughs) It's true, though. People shed a lot. Especially, I mean... People shed, like, the same amount, but you notice it with women more because our hair is longer, normally, than men. And I've had friend. I had a friend, um, that was like, I found one of my hairs in- one of your hairs in my closet, and you've never even been in my closet. Like, he had just moved to- into his apartment, and, like, a couple weeks later, he found, like, one of my hairs in his closet, and I think one of them, like, on his shirt that was on his bed or something, and I'd never even been in his room. The way your hair grows, it grows in three cycles, and not all of your hair is on the same cycle, or else you would be bald, and then you'd grow all this hair, and you'd be bald, and you'd grow all this hair, and like- <sighs> That'd be terrible. It'd be terrible. So the three cycles of hair growth is when it starts to grow, when it's finished growing, and then- A resting phase. Resting phase. And then the last one is when it detaches from your scalp, but it's still sitting in there. So that's when you brush your hair and all that hair comes out. Mm-hmm. That's the last stage of hair growth. It's natural. It's supposed to happen. 
you're always shedding hair. Yeah, so it's natural. And so there was that theory that I believe the pliers were found on the boat that Lacey supposedly doesn't know about, which was proven that she did know, know about the boat. I don't know how you hide a boat purchase on a joint account, but so they were saying she had never been on the boat, but it was proven later that she had been on the boat. I don't know if she necessarily was on the boat, but she She had been in the workshop. She had been in the workshop and they proved that by asking somebody else who had a warehouse or the manager of the warehouse or something like that. Yeah. Because Lacey asked to use the restroom. The theory was that she had never been to the warehouse where he kept the second boat and that's how she didn't know about it and that it was suspicious that the hair got there. But the manager, yeah, it was the manager said she had been there before because she... They remembered her asking to use the bathroom. Sometimes I'll pick up Robert from work or whatever, and we go and get food. And I found one of my hairs in his beard. I was like, I haven't even hugged you today. <laughs> Where did you get that? <laughs> anyway. Anyway, it's not that suspicious to me. Yeah. Hair gets everywhere. Have the, I mean, if you had found a chunk of her hair ripped out from the root in the pliers, that'd be a different story. That'd be a very different story. Now we're going to get into the theories of who abducted Lacey, who might have murdered Lacey. I'm going to start from least likely to most likely. Okay. Okay. The first one is going to be Edward Wayne Edwards. And he has been mentioned quite a few times by some people who believe Scott Peterson is innocent. I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. I already know it. But there's just, there's no facts There's no facts. The man who came up with this theory chose this theory that Edward Wayne Edwards has committed the crime of the Black Dahlia, Lacey Peterson, John Benet Ramsey, um, Teresa Halbach. Teresa Halbach. Fight me on that one. And it's fight uh, me on all of those. (laughs) Yeah, I just and that oh, and that he might be the Zodiac killer. No, I I don't believe it. When Lacey was abducted, he was almost 70 years old and he was an obese man and people say oh but he was still deadly he was still active he was she was an eight-month pregnant woman and i feel like a lot of her character statements said that she was extremely feisty yes and her dog was crazy and her dog was crazy also lacy didn't fit into edward's mo besides the one um supposed foster son he had he was 24 when edwards murdered him and it was because he was stealing from the family and his biological children besides that it was two couples it was two sets of couples it didn't fit his mo those were his five convicted killings that doesn't he confessed to more but lord knows people in prison love to confess right especially people who want to be infamous serial killers and who want more time in prison look at henry lee lucas he's literally known as the confession killer because he sat there and went through files and confessed to over a hundred murders that he didn't commit yeah for the fame and and to get out of prison for a day right i don't know I, I don't think there's no. any standing and i want to say i'm severely offended if you think he killed Teresa halbach and i will fucking fight you oh come at me come at me you want to talk about making the murderer let's do it there's a few people that think he's guilty. Stephen Avery. This is not... Don't speak to me in that tone. This is not the episode. <laughs> I don't need to make the episode. Do you have a Netflix account? Do you have Google? Do your research. Yeah, Google. The 
Black Dahlia. Literally couldn't. Uh, oh. John Benet Ramsey. I just let's just slap them all on there. Well, and the theory behind John Benet Ramsey, we'll have to do a whole Edwards episode because he was a interesting man. I the what I hate yes. is besides actually even the Zodiac Killer. All of those high profile cases have pretty solid theories behind them for most people exactly and for someone they're unsolved yes but but for someone to stake their entire career on that like i would want to say that he gave up his career for that i would hope and think that he had more evidence than he does he wrote an entire book i'd love to read that yeah sorry not buying it my next theory is the satanic cult theory Mm. so the satanic cult theory is Connected to the other, I think it was like six six other or seven other pregnant women that had went missing within a hundred miles or a hundred mile radius of Modesto. In a span of... Two years. Two years. There is two big connections. Lacey Peterson, who went missing on a, it's called a, a sacrifice day, or she was mur- tech, quote unquote murdered on a sacrifice day, mm-hmm. which is... December 24th. And then Evelyn Hernandez, who went missing May 1st. Which was also also Sacrifice Day. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a huge satanic cult problem in that part of California. And not just people from California knew about it. It was talked about over the United States. Mm -hmm. People were reporting it. it. It was a big thing. It was a big problem. Matt Dalton looked into it. He talked to a lot of people that lived in the airport district at the time. In the airport district, he actually found these paintings of pregnant women being, you know, decapitated and mutilated and sacrificed and all these demonic illustrations. Paintings, yeah. But again, I don't think that one's super likely. I believe that one more than I believe Edwards did it. I think, outside of it being a satanic cult, it's highly suspicious that six roughly eight-month pregnant women went missing in a hundred-mile radius in two years. And this was not, or did not seem to be actively looked into. No. At least not as a theory for Lacey Peterson. I find that a very suspicious theory. So this one's the most likely because the mailman said Mackenzie wasn't there around 10.30 to 10.45, and the gate was wide open. It makes sense because the Medinas left their house at 10.30, and people saw that white van near their house or in front of their house at 11.40. Two people saw this. Mm-hmm. This was, this is what feels most likely. It it makes sense that when, when she got back, Lacey put Mackenzie in the backyard and then saw what was happening across the street and said, hey, what are you doing, went to go confront them because that was Lacey's personality. And they shoved her in the van and said, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I I can believe that. I can believe that, too. I can believe either that things escalated quickly and they just wanted to shut her up, so they kidnapped her and they're like, oh, shit, now we, you know, things got out of control when it's just supposed to be robbery. So an interesting thing about the Medina robbery, the people that were arrested for it were Stephen Todd and Donald Pierce. They lived near or in the airport district, which is where the satanic cult action was happening. And then Stephen's cousin was part of the cult? No, it was Stephen's neighbor. Like, their houses butted up together. 
he had overheard some things. Somehow he was connected to the satanic cult. It was just a whole weird coincidence. Or was it a coincidence? Because it... So, let's play this theory. Okay. Let's get wild with it. Oh, Jesus. You've got six, eight month, roughly eight month pregnant women going missing Uh within a hundred mile radius of Modesto. Okay. Within two years. Okay. Two of them, including Lacey, went missing on a sacrifice day in the Mm -hmm. satanic calendar. Right. And you know that there's satanic activity because there's lots of news reports and there's all those drawings about pregnant women being mutilated and decapitated. Uh So now you have a guy who, quote unquote, just lives by a guy who's in the satanic cult, robbing a house across the street from an eight-month pregnant woman. I also forgot to mention that the man that was backdoor neighbors with Stephen Todd was married into a family that was in the satanic cult. That was his ex-wife. So he knew who Stephen Todd was. Mm-hmm. So there, there's something yeah. that could be there. I'm not going to say it's like a, it's a, definite, you know, a definite theory or like put a lot of stake in it. Right. But if you're saying they're out looking for a pregnant woman on this sacrifice day, they could have been robbing a house and casing the joint. There's also- Seems a bit of a stretch, but... Well, there's also the, there's also the fact that when Stephen and, and Donald were arrested, they said, I didn't have anything to do with that pregnant lady. Seems suspicious. Seems suspicious. Or did you? Why would you automatically say that? Exactly. But I don't know. That's kind of a an eerie coincidence, if you that's, want to call it that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my biggest thing is that's most likely what happened. That's my theory. People are going to hate me for this. My mom. Hi, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Or, obviously, you have the last theory, which would be she went on a walk and someone snatched her up for no apparent reason. But then how did Mackenzie get back? I don't know how the dog got back in the air. That is suspect. Mm -hmm. Or, well, the burglar thing at her house doesn't play out either. It doesn't make much sense. I would put the most stake in the Medina burglar theory. I would too. Because it would make sense that Lacey's walking back, put, puts Mackenzie back in the backyard, walks around sees the them, front. Yeah. Sees yep. them robbing their house. Mm-hmm. Suspicious men in a white van. And they said that there was a, a, safe, on the, a safe on the lawn. Right. Was yes. A few different reports had, had said that. Right. Um... That would make the most sense to me. You're robbing house. Now this lady's yelling at you like, what the hell are you doing? Mm -hmm. Things escalate. And you just shove her in the back of your van and take off. Who robs a house in broad daylight? Broad daylight. Winston Mosley. From the Kitty Genovese case. Remember that? Yes, I do. Okay. He was like, oh, they're moving. I was like, bitch, what? (laughs) What are you taking their microwave for? Oh, yeah. Just making a note about the Medina Berkeley. If she... So they said that they... The dog wasn't in the yard at 10.30 to 10.45, so we're saying she was already on her walk. Councilman's wife said she saw her walking at 10.30. Mm -hmm. So it takes 
about a half an hour probably for her to walk a mile because she's pregnant. It's like 15 to 20 minutes, we'll just say. Half an hour. Half an hour. Mm Because she's eight months pregnant. Right. And she's also got a crazy dog on the leash, which Mm -hmm. makes it harder. Yep. So if she walked a couple miles, that would put her back at like 1130. She walked for like an hour in a circle or up and back. That would put her at 1130 right around the time people said that they saw the burglary happening. And she probably put the dog in the yard with the leash on because Mackenzie's crazy. Yeah. She's not going to take the leash off. She, maybe she could get out. She probably walked her in with the leash on, and dropped it, went back out the gate, or saw them and just, like, tossed the dog in the yard well, and I then confronted the burglars. I don't know about your dogs, but, like, when we take our dogs on walks, or when I've previously taken dogs on walks, when they get back, they're jumping, they're crazy. Yeah. They're excited to be home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I usually leave the leashes on until I get inside the house. Exactly, yeah. So if I was putting them in the backyard, I would have done the same thing. Yeah. And But then if she put the dog in the backyard and saw the burglary happening and went to confront them, she probably just, like, put the dog in the yard, dropped the leash, locked the gate, and then walked over and was like, what are you doing? Right. So, I don't know. There's something to that theory, in my opinion. So now let's talk about the stuff in the trial that's a bit hinky. And important, and all the stuff that people yell about on the Scott's guilty side that we have counterpoints to. Before we get into that, let's go ahead and take a break. Are you trying to create a podcast but don't have the money for all the equipment it takes? Maybe not so great with all the editing? Not sure how to distribute your podcast once you have everything recorded? Well, look no further because Anchor is here to help. Anchor is the easiest way to make podcasts. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer or phone. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And best of all, it's free. We looked at so many different distribution websites before finding Anchor and wish we had found it sooner. They even set you up with sponsors they think will fit the vibe of your podcast, which you can accept or decline at any time. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Happy Happy podcasting! And we're back. Alright, let's get into this. Alright. Let's start with Amber Fry. (laughs) She's a psycho bitch, first of all. She's a crazy psycho. In Matt Dalton's book, Presumed Guilty... He actually gets to interview not Amber herself, but her sister. And the sister said that Amber Fry did this all of the time. She would fall madly in love with these men that she had only met or had only been out a couple of times, just like Scott. I just want to clarify, Scott and Amber only went out about three to four times. Yeah. They were not some star-crossed lovers that have been together for years and yeah this major affair that the which is the prosecution was the prosecution was trying to say that they had this this massive affair and that's why he killed Lacey to be with Amber it was either September or November that they started seeing each other yeah and they had only seen each other a couple of times it's mostly phone calls the whole relationship exactly well quote-unquote relationship she was 90 miles away yeah Amber had actually sent out a picture of her and Scott on her Christmas card. That's insane to me. Yes. One of the times that they went out was that notorious Christmas photo. Mm-hmm. They went, yeah, they went to a Christmas party together and they're photographed. And 
And it was this big character statement thing because there's a photo of Lacey at a Christmas party at the same time by herself. Mm-hmm. The other thing that, that bothers me about that is everyone says, well, Scott didn't want a child. Scott didn't want a child. Amber Fry had a fucking daughter. Yeah. She had like a three-year-old? Yeah, like a three or four-year-old. She was young. Yeah, so it doesn't really fit this whole theory that Scott wanted to be with his mistress and he didn't want a child, so he murdered his wife. No. But he had barely been, like, seeing Amber Fry and she had a kid of her own. And she was fucking nuts. Like, her sister was quoted as saying she fell in and out of love like that. Yeah. It was so instantaneous. And after the first date, she was like, I love Scott. He's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. She was infatuated. So it wasn't like... Because I think the point of that is saying that she was always acting like they had this big like whirlwind romance and they were so deeply in love. That's her statement. Mm-hmm. And her sister is saying she did that with everybody. It wasn't... Scott wasn't special. No, and Amber wasn't special either because Scott had cheated on Lacey many times before yeah, Amber. Yeah, and that's in Matt Dalton's book, right? Yep. Yeah, he like I said, he's a fucking douchebag, but... <laughs> yeah, not a great husband. Oh my god. But, but not a murderer. That kinda, yeah, that kind of throws off the entire motive. That was their entire reason for motive was that he met this other girl who was like the love of his life and he wanted didn't want a family and so he killed his wife to be with Amber Fry. Yeah, so there was all that. And if you you can go listen to we need to try and find those links. Post them this episode. But um oh, you can listen calls? to yeah, there's like 20 or 22 hours of phone calls, which is crazy. It is. Um that Amber Fry recorded for the police, and they played some of those in the trial. And what I want to note two things. One, there were phone calls where she was like still very flirtatious with Scott mm-hmm. that didn't seem like she was acting because I don't feel like she's that great of an actress. No. And I found that suspicious because at that time she not suspicious but just like weird, weird because she already knew that he was a the main suspect in murdering his wife and she's still like flirting with him. And yeah. I feel like, yeah, you could chalk that up to staying in character because she was trying to coerce information from him, but yeah, you can listen to the tapes for yourself. The other thing, and the one thing I will give her props for, um, when she finally, like, reveals that she is working for the cops or that she, she, she finally reveals that she knows Scott's wife went missing and yep. he's a suspect and everything, she confronts him and it is hilarious. She literally, she pops off on him. She's like, oh, really, Scott? So how about all this time when you were saying you were in, you were in Paris, Scott? How about that? And just she's just so sassy, and that's got to be my favorite phone call of all of them. Oh, I have another que- uh, correction. Mm. The friend's name that he had mentioned was, like, Pascal or something Pascal, like yeah, that. that's what yeah. I thought it was. Okay. I just... Yeah. I... Mm-mm. I Next. I'm not going to... Right, thank you. Next. Not giving her all this credit that people want to give her. No. She kind of milked that, though. She, she milked it. Oh, my God. She wrote she a book. Did. Yeah. I just, yeah. She, I don't she did the thing with words in it. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody gets a book deal nowadays, though. Where's our book deal? Where, where the fuck's our book deal? We'll get there. Seriously, everybody writes a book. Anyone who's involved in anything moderately um, sensationalized gets a book deal. Scandalous. Scandalous, whatever. Yeah. No, she was, I think she did a few, she might have done a few interviews. Don't quote me on that. She was a fucking nut job. I don't think she was as big as a lead of, as the police 
were going off of? Or as the police she, said? She was the whole motive. She's the case. I don't think she was the big crack in the case that detectives had hoped she was. True. I don't think so either. No. Because they, they, they thought that this was going to blow the case wide open. It's not Chris Watts. All right, what you got next for me? So another big thing that didn't get brought up at trial, and you're going to find out why, is the boat experiment. The running theory once Lacey's body washed up in the marina without her head and arms and like a leg was that she had been weighed down with anchors, metal cinder blocks that, that Scott had made in his workshop. Which that's they the found. That's the theory. They had found like blueprints or remnants or something of him making these anchors for his boat. They found one of the four anchors. That's right, one of the anchors. So, anyways, that was the running theory is that he hauled Lacey's body to the marina with these anchors and he tied them to her limbs right. and he threw her overboard. Mm-hmm. Here's the kicker the prosecution attempted to recreate this scenario in order to use it in court. And they tried and failed. Eight times, and two of the times, the guy who was, like, playing Scott in the scenario almost drowned. Right. Because the boat kept capsizing. Because you have roughly a 150-pound body, and then I think they were, like, 40 or 50-pound anchors. So... I don't know if they were that heavy, I don't know if they but... were... Well, they have to be to stop a boat in moving That's water. That's true. Yeah. But they're concrete blocks... Right. ...that are used as anchors, so they're pretty heavy. So... Let me play it out for you in case you still can't get it. You've got a 14-foot boat. Tiny. You're throwing either 150 pounds over and then dragging the blocks over, capsize the boat. Or you're throwing cinder blocks over, which would drag the body over, which would capsize the boat. There's no way. Or you're putting on your scuba gear, you're throwing the body over, and then you're going to haul the bricks over, and then you're going to tie them to her body while not being drowned yourself because the cinder blocks are weighing you down. Make it make sense. I really hope all of our listeners have have watched Dexter or know <laughs> the the premise of Dexter. His boat is what you use to throw bodies. To, yeah, overboard. and he weighs his down with rocks. Well, his thing, his disposal changes throughout the series. But yeah. They couldn't even recreate it. That's a whole job. So the whole job of both prosecution and defense is prosecution has a theory. They have to prove their theory. Right. The defense has to disprove their theory. Mm-hmm. None I don't believe that experiment was allowed in court, which is wild to me. Because the prosecution disproved their own theory. Right. <laughs> their theory didn't work. They said, and they stuck with that theory. No. And so this is where, this is one of the things where I think the defense failed because they should have, first of all, the defense should have recreated that on their own as well. Mm-hmm. And they would have been able to see that it failed. And then they could have brought that in evidence. And then, like, okay, this is your solid theory. Because the, the prosecution stuck to the theory that he put her body in the boat and dumped her in the marina. Right. Even though after diving two to three times and dragging the marina, they couldn't find anything. I just want to say, I think his defense attorney, Mark Gregos, lazy. I think lazy. he was lazy. I, I'm sorry. He, he might have been a good defense attorney for other high-profile kind of celebrity cases, but I just think he was lazy in this one. He didn't call the witnesses. He didn't provide the evidence he said he was going to. I think he was just lazy. I think he was too. Um, to not bring something like that in evidence is insane. What I just said, lazy. Lazy. Another lazy piece of evidence that wasn't brought in. 
there were tracker dogs. Oh. <laughs> I won't get over this one. I won't get over the boat capsizing. You couldn't recreate your own theory. He, they Dude. couldn't recreate any of their theories. No. They couldn't prove any of them. They couldn't prove any of it. And I understand how circumstantial evidence works for everyone who wants to yell about circumstantial evidence, but you still have to have solid circumstantial evidence. There is evidence under that, which is just inconsequential, and that's all I've seen. How do these people pass (laughs) any licensing or certifications? Right. Speaking of bad certifications. (laughs) Within the case, there was a point that Tracker dogs were brought in to try and trace Lacey's scent. So her scent was given to them and two different times the dogs hit at the Berkeley Marina on her scent. This was brought in evidence. This was a huge thing that they hit on her scent at the marina. Mm -hmm. Come to find out way after the trial's over, the tracker dogs failed their certification test three times. Three times before they finally passed it. Are you kidding? At a certain point, I feel like those type of dogs aren't allowed to continue with their certification. Yeah. So they had, well, because Vivian died at the time of the trial. They Mm -hmm. had at least five witnesses. Actually, six if you count the mailman. Mm. So six. They had the robbery they could have brought in. As an alternate theory. Right, as an alternate theory. I don't even remember what their alternate theory was. I I don't remember. They could have brought in the boat. The boat disproves a huge portion of the prosecution's theory. It disproves all of it. Yeah, the dogs was a big part of the case where they're like, well, how could the tracker dogs hit on her scent? Well, they weren't even qualified to be doing your job. They could have brought in... And I think... They could have brought in Ava Fry. True. She was a character witness and a star witness of just, like, everything they... They used those phone calls, like... She also didn't submit all of the As phone calls. Yeah. She, her sister said she did not submit all of the phone calls. She did not record every single one of those phone calls. So she basically lied to police. Not very Psycho. credible. <laughs> Psycho. What was I going to say? Also, dogs can miss hit on things. They can. Frequently. Right. There's been pl- plenty of cases where dogs hit on the smell of blood in a basement. And they couldn't find any traces of blood afterwards. Another thing I want to talk about, which is huge, mm-hmm. and I'm sick of hearing it about the marina. Everybody says, why would her body wash up at the marina if Scott didn't put it there? This case was literally the only thing on the news for months, and Scott's alibi that he was at the Berkeley Marina fishing was widely publicized. Everybody knew that he was supposedly at the Berkeley Marina fishing. So if someone who wasn't Scott killed Lacey, they'd have a perfect place to dump her body to lead the investigation away from them. I don't think it's that suspicious. That's easily... Like, they literally plastered his alibi everywhere. Since the beginning, since day one. Yeah. I want to bring up the use of rental cars, because a lot of people bring this up as well. So during the investigation... Police impounded or took into custody Lacey's Land Rover and Scott's truck. Mm-hmm. He had no cars. He had no cars. So they gave Lacey's Land Rover back to Scott on January 3rd, but they kept his Ford pickup truck. So looks like from December 26th to January 3rd, 
Both of his vehicles were in police custody, so he either borrowed vehicles from friends or rented vehicles. Once the police dropped off Lacey's Land Rover, they returned it broken. There was something wrong with it. Scott had to send it back to them to get it fixed because he was (laughs) like, this is not the condition I sent these cars to you in. You need to fix this. You need to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So during that time, from January 3rd to the 15th, while Lacey's car was being repaired, he was still renting. From January 27th to the 29th, Scott also rented a Dodge pickup truck so he could go ahead and move items from the warehouse to his home in a storage unit. Mm -hmm. So he needed that extra space. Everyone's saying that Scott had all these different cars and he would go visit the marina and and it was so suspicious because he had all these different cars. (laughs) The police confiscated his cars. People also said it's weird that Scott, like, immediately sold Lacey's Land Rover. She hated that car. Yeah, we talked about that, too. Yeah, she hated it. So, it says his truck payment was $600 a month, and he still had to pay that while it was in police custody. Whoa. Yeah. That's insane. Then we talked about that in the first episode, that it, that it wasn't weird that he sold her car, quote-unquote, so soon after she went missing, because he probably needed the money. Police kept his truck for like the longest time it wasn't released until after he was arrested okay but that's not suspicious at all no he didn't want to drive her land rover and he needed the room i don't uh, land rovers are not big let me start out with saying that. not if you're running a fertilizer company and hauling things and let me rephrase that they are a big vehicle but they do not have a lot of room. So mm-hmm. Robert's grandparents used to own a Land Rover, and they said it, like, even the leg room in that car was so squished, and you felt really cramped inside this big car mm-hmm. for no reason. Because it, it was a cool-looking big car, but you had very little cab room. Yeah. It's kind of like a Jeep. A Jeep is big. It doesn't have a whole lot of room. Yeah, and you're not going to be hauling things in your Land Rover. No. If you need to haul things back and forth. No. It's just impractical. I appreciate people looking into these things so adamantly, but you're looking in the wrong areas. Like, people just, they stick on these little things, and you're like, why are you even looking at that? Right. Why would you even, right. Why are you so, like, not even go back to the marina thing, because I covered it, but that's just (laughs) such a fucking, it's, it's ridiculous to be so stuck on her body being dumped in the marina like Scott's the only person that could go there. It's a public place. You just buy a ticket, or you do whatever, you walk down the pier, whatever it is, and you can do whatever the fuck you want. Right. They could, have, they could have easily dumped those bodies in the water. Maybe they have a boat there, too. Right, and they washed up. Like, people really say that. Yeah. Like, if he didn't kill her, how come her body washed up at the marina? I'm like, oh, how come her body washed up at a public place? Where, where anybody can go? Where the police just plastered that Scott was this yeah. entire time, and that he's the primary suspect? Right. So, moving on to the trial. Like, the specifics of the trial. You're gonna tell me about some jurors? I'm gonna tell you about some jurors. Beautiful. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some, some law right now. So, first we've talked about how publicized this case was. Trial by media. That's an understatement. Is, like, this is a prime example of that. It mm-hmm. was plastered everywhere. There was updates every day, whether they were factual or not. From day one. From day start. one. Oh, okay. yeah. 
this case blew up. It was national news. It was not just in California. It was national news. There were reporters outside his house almost 24-7, like, which is part of the thing where, where there was a small theory that went around that he was, like, holding her somewhere because of the whole decomposition rate. When would he not be caught going to some secret location to feed her or whatever? Like, there was news on him 24-7. Like, they followed him everywhere. They were outside his house. I think there was a case where someone tried to break into his house, one of the reporters. So, anyways, this was this was a huge trial. Mm-hmm. So, when they went to... When they arrested Scott and he went to trial, they said that he wouldn't be able to get a fair trial in Modesto, which is fair. Right. So, they moved him... An hour and a half away to Redwood City. An hour and a half. That's nothing in California. An hour and a half? An hour and a half. There's nothing anywhere. My sister lives an hour and a half from me. You can drive nine hours in California and still be in California. Yeah. Which is insane. Yeah. Like, an hour and a half is not far enough away. No. You should have moved him freaking out of state at that point if you were even remotely trying to give him a fair trial. And on the case of trial by media, I'm going to interject a major opinion in here. <laughs> Fuck Nancy Grace. <laughs> I cannot stand you, Nancy Grace. I don't care. Send me a cease and desist. She's going to listen to this and be she's like... She's going to waste her time with us puny little people. She's going to be like, please, somebody like me. No one likes you, Nancy Grace. <laughs> Someone listening to this likes Nancy Grace and I have a problem with you. I'm oh. calling you out. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay. I... If you go back and you watch a single thing Nancy Grace says about this case, I want to scream. She, first of all, why is she always yelling into the camera? <laughs> <laughs> always. Just, she's always talking like this and she's just like yelling into the camera. Like the louder I, she gets, the more believable she sounds, but she just sounds like an idiot. I just want it. So on RuPaul's Drag Race, they have something called the Snatch Games, and one of the drag queens impersonated Nancy Grace, and she was, like, banging on the table and screaming, where are the kids? And, like, (laughs) I need to see that. (laughs) Literally. She's always yelling. So the thing that drives me insane, too, is Nancy Grace used to be a prosecuting attorney, but when she talks about trials, she sounds like she has no clue what she's saying, and she just, like, pulls things out of nowhere that don't even make sense like there and there was one point when she was talking to larry king about the scott peterson trial and she just started spouting her opinions like she was like well i think he's guilty because he's just suspicious and who does this and larry king was literally like we're here to report the facts nancy (laughs) like larry king called her out because she was just out there like literally they should have sued her for defamation and i and i have a tidbit for anyone else who hates nancy grace like i do yes that is my favorite because Nancy Grace always had something new to say about this. Always something new to yell into the camera. And she got stuck on this one detail. So, I think it was... It was right around the time Lacey went missing. I think it was shortly after Scott had expanded his driveway and he poured a new... (laughs) (laughs) The cement. The cement. And he poured a new chunk of concrete. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because he said he had extra concrete from making those anchors and he wanted to expand his driveway. Nancy Grace couldn't let this go. She was dead ass convinced that he buried Lacey under that concrete and she plastered it on the media. I mean, she screamed about it every day. What about the concrete? What's underneath the concrete, Scott? Oh my God, that was a pretty good impression of her. <laughs> Literally. 
And so she she was out front. There's like a newscaster. She's out front of her house, like pointing a spotlight at the concrete. And she's like, what's underneath this concrete? Kind of weird how he poured this concrete here. Scott was like, go ahead, dig it up. He's like, I'm Flat out was real like, mad. Dig it up. I'm pissed because I just fucking poured that concrete. So instead, they brought out ground penetrating radar and they found nothing. Nancy Grace never said a single thing after that about it. She looked like a fucking idiot. I love it. And I think there was, might have been a newscast later where someone asked her about it and she's like, I don't want to talk about the concrete. I was like, I want to talk about how you look like a fucking idiot when you said that <laughs> shit. Like, she screamed about it for like a week and a half before they brought out the ground penetrating radar because then other people got on her bandwagon because she's Nancy Grace. And they were like, there's nothing under there. Like, right. It's just concrete. God, I can't stand her. (laughs) She, that woman might have single handedly invented the term trial by media because she just goes out and she just spouts whatever she thinks. You're, that's not your job. You are here to report the facts as a newscaster. I don't care that you used to be a prosecuting attorney because you're not prosecuting this case. And if you were, you couldn't be saying shit about it on television. So, anyways, <laughs> I just can't stand her. She drives me insane. I can't stand the way she talks. I can't stand anything about her. So, yeah, there's all this media coverage. There's newscasters outside of his house. And they, so, in order for him to get a fair trial, they move him an hour and a half away. There's no fucking chance. They should have moved him, like, out of fucking country. Literally. Like, just... Like, way north, way south where he was. Even another state, like... Well, and they tried to say that the the jury was impartial because they were, like, night workers or people that didn't watch TV yeah, or Yeah, it was whatever, a small but... town. It was in Redwood City. It was a small town. Mm-hmm. No. Bruh, those people have televisions. I'm sure they watched the nightly news because that's all that the nightly news was. That's all that the morning news and the evening and the day news was. Right. That's all people were talking about. Every single day. Mm-hmm. There's no way people didn't know about the case. No. And I'm about to prove it to you. There was a number of jurors who later admitted after the trial that they had looked up information on the case, which you can't do as a juror. You have to be completely impartial or as impartial as you can be. You can have, like, heard of the case, but if you have knowledge of it, they will dismiss you during jury selection because they the whole point is for a non-biased jury. That's your civil right. Mm-hmm. So, people had admitted later on that they had looked up the case. There were um, multiple jurors who were later talking to the media. Yeah. After after um, session, they would go outside and they would talk directly to the media, which you cannot do. So they, they didn't sequester the jury in this case, which is no. insane. This whole thing so should first have they, been a mistrial. Oh, absolutely. First, they don't move it. They move it... First, they move it an hour and a half away. Second, they don't sequester the jury. When this is the only thing that was on the news the whole time. Right. Like, bruh. Hello. You're just asking for an, for a biased jury. Uh, there was a point where one of the jurors was caught on camera speaking directly to Scott's brother about the case. Yes. Didn't he get dismissed? He got dismissed, yeah. Okay. Um... I think one of the jurors who was caught talking to the media got dismissed and I think the other one just like got left out or, you know, but Same either way, thing. so they are bringing, what happens when you dismiss a juror is they bring in an alternate and they basically have to start over. Like they, then those jurors have to go through everything that they've already been through again with the new person and it, then you have, yeah, you basically have to catch up an entirely new person. You could be halfway through a trial by this point. Didn't they bring in four alternates? 
So one of them was dismissed for an an unknown reason. The foreman stepped down because he didn't feel like he could give Scott a fair trial. And he had later said that he didn't think he was guilty. And that's why he felt that he couldn't give him a fair trial. Because he already had an opinion. Right. Um, People were caught talking to the media. Good guy was caught talking to Scott's brother. And then during deliberation, which took seven days, two jurors were dismissed. Mm -hmm. Which means, so that's where, and if you're in deliberation, they have to bring in the alternates and they have to start all over. So during the trial, they kind of get caught up and stuff, but they have to start over from scratch. Because it has to be unanimous vote. Jesus. Yeah. And so it took a week. That's a long time. Yeah. Because don't they have to stay there? At that point during deliberation, aren't they sequestered? Yeah. In some cases, like, too tired to do anything. And then they send them to, like, a private location. But they bring food in. They, like, are not allowed to leave. Obviously, they don't have cell phones or anything like that. They bring food in for them. And then eventually, yeah, they have to let them get sleep. But, But then they come back bright and early in the morning and they keep doing it. And they are not allowed to... Like, go anywhere until they come with a verdict. So they had to dismiss two people in the middle of that and start all over again. That fucking sucks. Yeah, because they have to sit there and comb through everything and ask questions. And they can request a judge for, like, information that they're missing or whatever. Right. So at one point, one of the replacements, one of them um, left for an unknown reason. And his replacement came into the trial and then later admitted that his son-in-law... Worked for the Petersons for, like, six weeks. Which is a conflict of interest. So then he got dismissed. Jesus. (sighs) Yeah, it's insane. Most of the... And this literally reminds me of the O.J. Simpson trial. When you have that many jurors dismissed, normally it's grounds for a mistrial. Right. Which is exactly what should happen in the O.J. Simpson case. And that one was even crazier with the reasons that jurors were dismissed. So... Then we come to our favorite juror, who people like to refer to as Strawberry Shortcake. Rochelle Nice. And the reason they call her Strawberry Shortcake is because she's got bright red hair. Fire truck. Fire truck red hair. She's obnoxious. She is. She, another person who likes to yell into the camera. Like, just, you can just look up clips of her. She spoke to the media a bunch of times during the case, too, or I think after the case, she is one of the reasons that Scott Peterson recently got his conviction overturned. Really? Yeah, because she withheld that she was a victim of domestic violence while pregnant from the trial. Oh. If that isn't bias, I don't know what is. This is a case about a man who supposedly murdered his pregnant wife. And you were a victim of domestic violence while you were pregnant. You can't tell me that that is not juror bias. They don't have police reports. They can't vet these people a little bit more. Yeah. So she failed to disclose that she had sought a restraining order in 2000. Three years before the trial. That's it. Against her boyfriend's ex-girlfriend when she was pregnant. When Nice was pregnant. Um, She said the claims made in Pearson's appeal were flat out wrong. I did not lie to get on this trial for uh, to fry Scott Pearson. I did not. So she's saying, the, she lied on her jury questionnaire, right. and those people are saying that she did it because she wanted to be on this essential, sensationalized case, which she was in front of the cameras any chance she got, spouting some nonsense and yelling about whatever. Her and Nancy Grace would have been best friends. Oh yeah, they would have. So if you're going to tell me that she didn't do it to be a part of the limelight, I don't believe you. No. So yeah, she's one of the reasons that they're 
reviewing, but they overturned his conviction and everything. It was, it was so, there's a lot of evidence in his appeals of why it should have been a mistrial, at least. I'm not asking for an acquittal, but we have a right to have a fair trial. All these jurors, like, evidence not being properly brought in, the search dots not being qualified. The witnesses. The witnesses, the, not yeah, leads not being followed, and then all these jurors being dismissed for different reasons, some of them for blatantly breaking rules. They should have scrapped that whole trial, moved it farther, way farther away from Modesto, and started over. But I cannot be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt. No. And I would love to hear better evidence, but I've, I think I've heard just about everything. Right. I, I, if, I mean, I don't want to say this is every single person that thinks Scott Peterson is guilty, but it's the majority of people who like to sit there and argue and they don't want to, you know, look at the facts. If you want to have a, a, a genuine conversation with us, please, please Yeah, a real us. mature debate. Don't scream at us. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Don't scream at us. Don't cuss at us. We're not going to treat you like that. No. Cite your sources, though, because we see that all the time. People we have discussions, they're like, well, what about this? I'm like, where did you find that information? And they're like, well, I don't know where I Wikipedia. found it. What? Bruh. I'm like, okay. Or, you, yeah, you found it on, well, you found it on one article of Daily Mail. Right. Okay. Can I have a real source? Mm-hmm. Well, I read it at the grocery store. What? The tabloids. The, the freaking tabloids. Um, oh my god, what's the big one? The Inquisitor. <laughs> e news. E news. I actually love e news, but for like useless drama that I don't really care if the facts are right. Yeah. <laughs> for tabloid stuff. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Do you have anything else? About the case, no. Um, I will say that we we do have a few more people to give a shout out to. So on top of Ireland, we've got Belarus, uh, the United Kingdom, Ecuador, Germany, what? New Zealand. Oh my gosh. South Africa, Australia, and Canada. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Ecuador? What? I know. This is fantastic. Is I- it like one listener in each place? Canada has 2%, <gasps> Australia has 1%, and then everywhere else is a little bit more than 1%. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah. And, yeah, I... I Shout out guys. to you guys. Wow. Right. All thank over the place. I freaking love that. Yeah, that was our episode. Thank you so much for sticking through this. I know this is mm-hmm. a long one. Send us your theories. Please don't yell at us. Please be nice about it. Thank you to the Scott Peterson is Innocent group. I've had a lot of contact with people in that group, like Raiders, Cindy, Aaron, George. You guys have given me a lot of great information. I really appreciate it. I hope you're listening. And I have a big surprise. A big surprise. I wrote Scott Peterson a letter. You did? What? That's awesome. I hope he writes back. I know, I'm excited. We shall see. We yeah. shall keep you updated. I'll make a an Instagram live video or some. Oh my gosh, like yeah. If he writes and back. Read yeah. It. yeah. Or read it, yeah. I've seen that his handwriting is like crazy nice too. So. <laughs> He's been practicing his calligraphy all this time. I mean, pretty much. These um, 17 years. Uh, check out Matt Dalton's book, Presumed Guilty. If you want to yes. get all that information. 
the ID documentary on Netflix. Go ahead and check that out. It has a lot of great information. It's about an hour and a half long. There's also the A&E documentary on Hulu. I think it's four episodes. Four or eight or something like like that. There's a lot. It's a couple of episodes. It's got a lot of good information in that one, too. You can email us at morbidlyintoxicatedpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Morbidly Intoxicated Pod. You can also find us on Facebook at Morbidly Intoxicated Pod. You can find our website at morbidlyintoxicated.wixsite.com forward slash podcast. That's Wix spelled W-I-X. Thank you to Taylor Hertz for our theme music. You can find him at taylorhertz.com. Big shout out to Kelly Carroll who did the fantastic art for our cover photo you can find her on instagram at art by kelly kelly spelt with an i yeah and thank you to javi romero for our awesome photographs you can find him at orange javi on instagram hopefully more photos from him coming soon thanks for listening we'll talk to you later bye